Well, good morning. Happy Easter. And Guy, thanks so much for sharing your great story of God's powerful grace in your life. When I was a boy growing up in Evanston, Illinois, I found myself at several times crying myself asleep. And no, it wasn't because I was punished. I think that only happened like once in my life. Uh, It wasn't because my parents were fighting and I was concerned about their breakup. It wasn't because anybody had died. Actually, what it was is I was thinking about my parents dying and the very thought of them dying would just bring me to tears. And I would literally cry myself asleep. I was just a young boy, terrified by the death of my parents. Do you remember how old you were when you first brushed up against death or how it usually is, death brushed up against us and you were faced with the reality, the the choking fear of death. I use that word choking and I can't help but think of the difference it was five years ago, a little over five years ago, December 2002, when Dr. Hawkins called with, I suppose, the, the news of the results of Lori's mammogram. Lori wasn't home. I happened to be home. I got the call, and, and I was waiting for him to tell me the results. And all he said is, just, just have Lori call me. And just like that, the fear of death smothered me like a wet blanket, put me in a chokehold, and I was paralyzed for a few hours contemplating the possibility of my best friend my wife, the mother of our four, five children. Yeah, I, I remember that now. <laughs> Just thinking about it. What do you do? What do you do when death is right here and it's smothering you, terrorizing you in fear? Well, I think if we're honest, a lot of us kind of change the subject. We're really kind of uncomfortable there. If you notice, we've not only changed the subject, we've changed the language. So we don't talk about dying. We talk about passing on, passing away, going home, kicking the bucket. Then somebody had the brainy idea of using the term expired, like we're some kind of a library card. (laughs) And then we we try and deal with the things that are, are pointing to the inevitable, our death and So we're creative in all kinds of ways. We spend billions of dollars on on things that will hopefully, as we look at ourselves in the mirror, not remind us that we're getting older. Or I I love how us baby boomers, we've been brilliant here. Here's an idea. Let's call 50 the new 30. It's all these kinds of things, but we understand it's something we can't control. Here's how... Lars Ulrich, the drummer from Metallica, put it, the last thing I've been unable to control in my quest to control everything is death. (laughs) Maybe you saw the film. You probably heard about it, The Bucket List, last year. You've got Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman playing two terminally ill men who are, are checking off all the things on this road trip, all the things that they said they wanted to do before they kicked the bucket. So Nicholson gives an interview to Parade Magazine, kind of reflecting on this movie and his life, and listen to what he says. I used to live so freely. The mantra for my generation was, be your own man. I always said, hey, you can have whatever rules you want. 
I'm going to have mine. I'll accept the guilt. I'll pay the check. I'll do the time. I chose my own way. That was my philosophical position well into my 50s. As I've gotten older, I've had to adjust. And then he goes on later to say this. We all want to go on forever, don't we? We fear the unknown. Everybody goes to that wall, yet nobody knows what's on the other side. That's why we fear death. Now, the great thing about this Easter is we can go back and look at the first Easter account and realize we're studying the historical record of someone who's been to the other side, who's come back, he's conquered death, he offers new life, and he offers us hope in the face of death. So what do you do when you're smothered by the fear of death? The text this morning says, trust in the one who swallowed death. Trust in Jesus. Now this phrase, swallowing death, is actually a phrase that comes right out of the Bible. There's a prophet in the Old Testament. His name is Isaiah. He wrote many centuries before Jesus. And he records one of the many promises of God. I want you to hear his promise in verses 7 through 9 of chapter 25. On this mountain... He will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day they will say, Surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. So we note that Isaiah calls death a shroud. It's this covering. It's, it's the grave clothes that Jesus is wrapped in. He says, we're, we're all wrapped in this sheet, this blanket, this shroud called death. It, it hovers over us like a dark cloud, whether we know it or not. And that there's a promise that death will be swallowed up forever. And he tells us where it's going to happen. On this mountain, he says, you start chasing around Isaiah 25 and 26, you realize he's talking about the land of Judah, where the Israelites settled the southern kingdom, specifically the city there, the capital city, Jerusalem, the very place where Jesus Christ hung on a cross and was raised to new life. He also tells us who's going to do this, swallowing up of death forever. What does the text say? The Lord Almighty will do this. The sovereign Lord, the one who has supreme authority over all things, he's the one who's going to do it, and even more. He'll wipe away all tears from their faces. And if we're thinking this morning, we go, well, how can we be sure? Because last I checked, people are still dying. Ben Franklin's famous quote still stands. In this world, nothing is certain but death and taxes. So how can we know it's going to happen? Because the Easter story tells us it's already happened. Jesus has made the first installment. He has crushed the enemy. He has crushed death. And the swallowing has begun. It will ultimately be done when he comes back 
And there will be no more death and there will be no more pain and no more sorrow and sickness. And it will wipe every tear from our faces, every hardship from our lives. So turn in your Bibles to Mark's account of the Easter story. Mark chapter 16, you'll find on page 722 if you're using the Bible in the rack in front of you. Mark 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene. He was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. This is Mark's account. Matthew gives us an account of the Easter story. Luke gives us another account. So does the Gospel of John. These Gospels are, are portraits. They're different angles on the life of Jesus. They, they are, in a sense, biographies on who he is. And they're unanimous in their conclusion of the two primary facts of the Easter account. Jesus really died, and he really rose from the dead. I mean, the women clearly believe he's died. They saw him hang on a cross. They saw his dead body taken down by Joseph of Arimathea. And then he and Nicodemus then laid him in Joseph's tomb. They followed along and saw them prepare Jesus' body for burial. They saw him roll over the stone. That's why they're bringing spices in this last act of devotion to finish the burial process, anointing his body with these oils and spices. That's why the the disciples are hunkered down in the upper room and hiding, not dancing in the streets, celebrating. Everyone around Jesus believed that he was dead. And second, the account in the Gospels make it clear that Jesus really did come back from the dead. You ever heard one of those stories? A story about someone who says, you know, I died my soul left my body. I was looking at everything around me. I, I was in this tunnel and there was a bright light and, and, and then I came back and I'm telling you about my experience I had, this near death or this afterlife, after death kind of experience. I've never heard anybody give this story. Yeah, I died. They buried me. I was in the ground for three days. I came back, dug out of the coffin, lifted up the vault, dug through the ground, here I am. I've never heard that story. Have you heard that story? The Bible says Jesus was resurrected to new life. The tomb was empty. I love how Peter Larson put it in his article in a magazine. The life of Jesus is bracketed by two impossibilities, a virgin's womb and an empty tomb. Jesus entered our world through a door marked no entrance and left through a door marked no exit. 
So what do we do as we face the reality of we're all going to die? What do we do when we're smothered by the fear of death? Well, I think we follow the flow of this text as we think about what what we ought to do here. And the flow of this text is as the women go into the tomb and they meet this young man that the other gospel writers clearly identify as an angel, that we listen to the angel's message. For that's the, the heart of the word angel is messenger. So what do we do? We listen to God's message. Don't be alarmed. Verse 6. Don't be afraid. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene. He was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Luke adds in his account, he's not here just as he said. That's right. Jesus talked about it. He talked about his impending death, his suffering. And three times in Mark's account, he talks about right up front, clear as can be, the resurrection. He says it in chapter 8, 31. Look at it here on the screen in 9, 31. And again in 10, 34. In chapter 9, this is what Jesus said. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days, he will rise. So listen to God's message. And God's message is this. I love you. I I sent my son down to this earth to live that perfect life that he might be the perfect sacrifice in your place. He took on what you deserved penalty of rebelling against me he died for your sins he rose again his sacrifice was acceptable to me and he offers you new life and forgiveness hope for this world and the next you ever wish God would say something to you I mean that hard thing you're in right now you ever wish man I wish God would just help me see it right know what to do Help me figure out, well, what's the right way to go? There seems to be so many different religions and paths out here. Do they really all go to the same place? Wish God would talk to me about that. Well, God's alive and he's still talking and he talks through his living word. And that's his message to you today. I love you. He died for you. He's alive. The second thing they did is they investigated the evidence. And that's what we should do as we're facing the fear of death. Look at the end of verse 6. What does the angel say? See the place where they laid him. Don't just take my word for it that he's not here. Just check it out. Look around. And the biblical evidence is this. The tomb was empty. All kinds of theories. Well, maybe Jesus didn't really die. It's called the swoon theory. Maybe like he was really close to death. They mistook him for dying on the cross. And when they put him in this kind of cool tomb, he kind of came back to life and, and he pushed his way out. Others say, hey, no, he was dead. But his, his disciples, they came in and broke through the, the guards that were guarding the temple, the, guarding the tomb that night. The guards of Pilate, and, and they stole the body. Others say, no, it's just as he said. He really did die, and he really did rise again. Check out the evidence, the empty tomb. John tells us about the grave clothes. Hardly something the disciples would do if Jesus' body was stolen. Hey, here's an idea, guys. Before we take him out of here, let's unwrap his body. You kidding? 
They're in a hurry. They're not unwrapping his body. They're certainly not going to fold the face cloth, as John says, nicely and lay it there above the other pieces of clothing. There's the resurrected body. Matthew tells us about the women who take hold of him. The Gospels tell us about the the disciples actually putting their fingers through the nail holes on his hands and, and reaching into the side where the spear thrust into him. Tells us about the eyewitnesses, not just the 11 that saw him that night, not just some of the women, not just the two on the way to Emmaus, but over 500 in one day who saw him. That's what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15. And then there's this powerful argument to the authenticity of the resurrection as it relates to how these men, these followers of Christ, live their lives and what they died for. If it was a lie, why would they give their life for it? If it was a lie, how in the world could have they covered it up that long? But what we need to do, if we're not sure, is investigate the claims of Christ. Have you done that? Take out a Bible and study it. If you don't have one, we'd love for you to take a Bible that we have here. It's yours. Take it home. Look at it. Grab this great book out at the resource table. It's a couple of bucks called The Case for Easter. It goes through the evidence and weigh it carefully because it matters what we do with this Jesus. And we're going to conclude one of two things. It's a lie or he's alive. It's true. And if it's true... That means we must trust in the one who swallowed death. We must go and tell this news about the one who swallowed death, this one who gives us hope in the face of death. Here's what the scriptures say about Jesus conquering death. 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul says this, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has conquered death. He has taken out the sting of death. My dad raised bees. And I think of helping my dad with his beehives, and sometimes we would transport the bees from place to place, and and it was hot, and the bees didn't like being all cooped up, and I'd be fool enough, foolish enough to be with my dad, and we'd, you know, take the, the beehives out the place and take the stuff off the tops, and all of a sudden, man, the bees are everywhere, and I'm running. And I look back at those pictures, and I go, there's something wrong in that picture. My dad had the big suit on. He had the, he had the hat on. He had the veil on. And I'm just like in my jeans and a T-shirt. Like, what? No wonder I never wanted to raise bees. And those bees would hurt. I hated to get stung. My dad always said this. Remember this, Mark. You ever get stung by a bee, they're going to die. They can only sting you once. Well, that's not great if they've already done it. And the other thing he said is, and if you see that stinger in your arm, don't ever grab it like this. Because the minute you squeeze the end, that's where all whatever that stuff's called, the venom or whatever, and you're going to push it right down through the stinger into your arm or wherever it is he stung you. So just flick it off like that. And it won't hurt as much. <laughs> so I think of it like this, that the sting of death is gone because Jesus was stung by death and the stingers in him. And, and 
though the bee is still flying around death and it looks like, man, this thing could do a lot of damage, the reality is it's lost a stinger. It's lost a stinger. I love how one guy put it. He put it like this. When death stung Jesus Christ, it stung itself to death. That's what Paul's talking about in 2 Timothy chapter 1. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And then we read at his second coming, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Revelation 21.4, there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And so in the face of death, in the face of the smothering fear of death, the reality of death, we trust in the one who swallowed up death, the one who was stung by death so that you and I would never have to be afraid of that which flies and hovers around us but has no power over us anymore because Jesus took the sting of death in himself. Jesus did this. It's kind of a funny ending, though, how this chapter ends. I don't know if you have it in your Bibles, but you'll note in the NIV, which we're using this morning, it makes a note at verse 9, and it says... Basically, verse 9 through 20 isn't involved and isn't there in the earliest manuscripts. The best earliest manuscript evidence says that it ends at verse 8. And when you read how verse 8 ends and how the gospel ends, you can understand why somebody said, hey, let's just kind of gussy it up a little bit. Let's kind of, it's kind of a funny ending. Let's, let's fix it a little bit. But I believe verse 8 is exactly how Mark ends his gospel. Trembling. And bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. That's kind of a strange ending. It's not what we expected. Well, what about the going to tell the others and them coming down to see the empty tomb? What about the Great Commission and Jesus' final words? And where's all that? This is where Mark ends his gospel. And here's what we know from Mark. That many a time when people encountered the power of God, they were afraid, sometimes terrified, sometimes angry, didn't like it. But many a time they were astonished. And what Mark is telling us is this is the appropriate response to Jesus, the Son of God. He starts his gospel saying, I want to tell you the good news about Jesus Christ, who's the Son of God, who's the promised Savior, who's come for you. And then at the end, he says, and this is the kind of response you should have to this one who is the Son of God. You ought to be moved to fear and trembling along with awe, reverence along with amazement. That word bewildered, when I first hear it, I think of they were confused. And there's a sense where they they weren't still sure. They, They heard the words, but they're still wondering, man, did somebody really steal his body? This is bad. They were confused. But the word is the same word in the original that we get the word ecstasy from. It it means an intense sense of amazement. They were amazed. The other time that Mark uses it, translated in the NIV in chapter 5, verse 42, he says they were astonished. And he's speaking of the little girl's parents 
reaction to Jesus saying to her, little girl, get up. She just died. You raised her up from the dead. They were astonished. Same word. Jesus is the son of God. He lived a perfect life to be our sin bearer. He is the resurrection of life. And Jesus says that he who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Be amazed this Easter in the power of the resurrection and allow Jesus to exchange your fear of death to your hope in the face of death through Christ. In the coming weeks, we're going to be focusing in on the transforming power of the cross, of the cross and the resurrection. We're calling it exchange. Guy told us about a great exchange that happened in his life concerning his issue with anger. We're going to talk about the exchange that the cross brings us to in dealing with guilt and giving us forgiveness and peace. The exchange that comes as we find ourselves feeling insignificant, lacking purpose and meaning, and finding that purpose and meaning in Christ. Exchanging the conflicts that we have in relationships for harmony, the despair with hope. And so I hope you'll join us if you're a guest today as we continue on in this series in the weeks to come. You find those services listed in your bulletin. I encourage you, especially that Sunday afternoon service at 4.30. I close with this story. An Arab chief tells the story of a spy who was caught by a Persian general. This Persian general had a weird way of dealing with people who um, had done heinous things and were guilty and going to die. He gave them a choice. The choice was the firing squad or the big black door. So he told the spy, you got a choice. He thought about it. What would you choose? I, I think what you ch- would choose is the same thing the spy chose. He, he chose the firing squad. I mean, think about it. What could be behind that big black door? And, and how bad could my death be? Give me the bullet. Let me go quick. That's what he did. He said, I'll, I'll take the firing squad. So the shots rang out. General turned to his aide and said, they always do it. They always take the firing squad, that which they know. Very few take the unknown path, the path through the black door. So the aide said, well, by the way, what is behind the back door? He said, freedom, freedom. I've only seen a couple men brave enough to go through it. You know what Jesus says? He says, I'm the door. Look at it in John chapter 10. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes, speaking of the enemy, the devil, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. And that's what your life feels like right now. Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And that's what Jesus did. 
on Good Friday, laid down his life for you. And he ascended from the grave and he offers you new life in himself. Hope in the face of death. Trust in the one who swallowed up death by being swallowed by death. Trust in the one who rose from the dead. Take the door. Take Christ and be free. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, who is the way, the truth, and the life. We thank you for your obedience, Lord Jesus, even to death on a cross. And we thank you mostly for the resurrection, for we know and believe with all our hearts that had you not been raised from the dead, we would still be in our sins. We'd still be facing the judgment of death and eternal separation from God. And so for this life and the next, we have hope in you. And I pray that you would grant faith to each one here to believe that what you did on the cross and what you did through the resurrection was for them. And in believing that you would strengthen them to live in resurrection power and new life, going and telling the wonderful news of our living Savior, in whose name we pray, amen.